So today we're on this, this series, In Not Of, and uh, this week is about marriage. And, and the idea of the In Not Of series is that we're looking at subjects that are really, really important and significant. And the aim is to equip us. The aim is to realign our hearts and minds, because James, who leads New Community Church, said right at the beginning of the series, we are all shaped by something. We're either shaped by the world and its philosophies and the culture of the world, or we're shaped by the word of God. And often, not often, every week of our lives, we're bombarded with stuff, aren't we? You put your television on, even adverts are just full of it. You know, everywhere you look, we're just bombarded with, with stuff, images, information, and the amount of information we receive is mind-blowing, isn't it? Everywhere you go, people are always on their phones. Wh whatever situation, just walking down the street, People are on their phones. Are you on the... You, is that... Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew it'd only be notes for you, Fran. Far too godly not to just be going through Twitter or something like that. But you know what I mean, right? We're getting bombarded, aren't we, with stuff all the time. And we want to look at what does God say? What's, what does God say about some very key important things? So we've looked at the sanctity of life. James did that a few weeks back. And last week, John Brown talked about singleness and it's clear that as Christians, we're on a very different page to the world in which we live. And it's probably, not probably, it has always been so. It's always been like that. However, it just seems more obvious now, wherever we go. It's, it has always been like that, but it is so much more obvious. And John last week was brilliant when he preached about singleness and helped us to see that marriage, being married, is not the end goal. The ultimate saying he, he mentioned last week you know, when you're looking for to get married and stuff, oh, you complete me, that sort of lovely, not so lovely phrase, perhaps. And, uh, you know, saying actually, when we say that, he's really saying that person is my God, that person, I'm, I'm idolizing that person. That's what it's saying. And John unpacked that brilliantly for us. And, and I think what John said last week is we need to live for something much bigger than just, just looking, the end goal is to get married. We're looking to live for something much bigger and have an eternal perspective. And Paul wrote, you know, he, John brought it out last week, it's good to remain single. There are less distractions, etc., etc. Those of us who are married, it's too late for that. You are married. <laughs> and there are distractions. But we can still go for God in a big way. So on to this week and about marriage. And, and singleness and marriage, actually, being married is... I'll talk to you later, I'm sure we've got something to say. They're a gift from God, right? If you're called to singleness, if you're single right now, that's where you are right now and that's where God has called you. And if you're married, you're called to be married. And it's important to recognise this and not see any sense of competition. That if you're married, you're doing better or single, you're not or the other way around, depending on your viewpoint. We are where we're at and God has got a purpose and a call in our lives. So don't elevate marriage, being married above singleness or put it on a pedestal. That person completes me because you've missed the point of what, it, what marriage is really about and what, who God is really. So whether you're single or married, divorced, widowed, young or old, if you're a Christian, wherever you find yourself, you're an ambassador for Christ. That's, that is the biggest truth over your life. You're an ambassador for Christ. So as we look at this stuff in, not of, as we look at the, the subject of marriage, we need to take our cue from the word of God and not the loud, incessant noise that we find, that we hear from culture and the, and the stuff we live in. And we have in the book, the Bible, this unerring, infallible, 
perfect word of God, the perfect instructions from God for our lives in every circumstance, through every phase of our lives, wherever you find yourself today, every situation. And that's been the case through every generation. The word of God, it stands the test of time. So it's right as Christians, so we remind ourselves, we get back into line, that we go, this, the Bible is what I'm standing my feet on, not the culture of today. And the worldview says this, that marriage is probably a bit outdated. It's no longer perhaps even just about male and female, that marriage is bigoted, offensive, and maybe even repressive. Marriage crushes identity and individuality, the world would say. Because the world says it's all about individualism. And they ask questions like this. The world would say, is he or she compatible with me? Will they enhance my life goals? Now, they might not have that on a post-it note on their uh, laptop somewhere, but that's what's behind some of the things, the way people think about marriage and partnership. Are we sexually compatible? Will this person meet all my needs? Rather than being about a grace-filled covenant relationship. It's based on consent. In the now, in the present, the minimum. I agree to be with you right now, in this moment. I agree to be with you, but it might not always be so. That's the world's view of marriage and partnership. So we need, because what we can find is in our worlds, we go, we know the truth. That what God says about singleness and about marriage and many big issues in our, in our lives and in the world today. But we don't always have the way to answer it. And so we need a really strong, robust, biblical view of what marriage is and what it's about. And to really know it and to experience it and to know there's a better way. Even if you're not married, you can still answer the questions with people at the school gate in your office and the building site. Wherever you might find yourself, we've got an answer. Where's a better way to follow Jesus? So the first point is marriage is not a human invention. It's God's plan. It's God's idea. So myself and Jenny, she's over the back there, we've done... <laughs> you threw me there. <laughs> anyway, myself and Jenny, we've, um, we've done marriage prep for quite a number of couples over the, over the last seven or eight years, something like that. And uh, what that is, is when there's uh, two people who are part of the church, generally, not always, but generally part of the church, they say, we want to get married. And... We say, great, this is wonderful. What we want to do with you now is we want to do some marriage prep. And what that is, is we spend six sessions with a couple and we go through what it means to get married and what it means to, to find out about being a Christian and being married. So we talk through things, what it could look like. We look at subjects like your background, your, your family stuff, your, your, how many children you want perhaps, how you're going to work out money, and how you're going to resolve conflict, all those sort of things that, that come up almost day one of when you get married, probably have come up before that, but all those sort of things. And that is important to talk about those things. But when they come to us and we sit them down and we have something to eat with them and we say, right, this is, gonna, this is what we're aiming to do, there'll be all those subjects. But what I want to start with is this, you getting married is not about you. And you can sort of see the glazed look over their eyes. You know, they've come with this master plan of a wedding with 3,000 people attending and not maybe that many, but you know what I mean, like this grand plan of getting married. And that's a good thing. I'm not knocking that right. I'm not trying to kick romance out of marriage at all. 
But that's what can happen because you don't really understand it until you get married. But if you get this, what marriage is about, it's God's plan and it's God's idea. And then that changes everything because it's got a solid, solid foundation. They look at me and Jenny sometimes and you can sort of guess what's going on behind the eyes. But this glazed look comes over them and almost saying, what on earth are you talking about? Because they've got this plan and nothing could ever shake us. We love one another. You don't know, realize how much fun we have. We phone each other four hours a night. We are in love. <laughs> well, those who are married might laugh and snigger at some of those sort of things. But if we get this foundation right in at the beginning, it does change everything. It is not about you. So we get on with it and we say, really, this is the beginning, middle and end point of marriage. What is the meaning of marriage? What is the theology of marriage? What is it about? And if we get this and live it out, then this becomes your biggest declaration of the gospel. Marriage points to something far greater than you. The world says, it's oppressive, anti-women, stifles passion, boring. You were never made for just one partner. So we need a brutal and realistic yet gloriously rich vision of what marriage is according to God. So let's, let's look at the Bible. Mark 10, chapter 6. Verse, verses six, chapter 10, verses 6 to 9. Jesus said this, But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus right here is making it evident that marriage is God's invention. It's his doing right from the very beginning of creation. And what's going on here, the, the previous verses of, of chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're basically saying, how can we get out of our marriage? What's the, what's the easiest way? Moses gave a way out for, you know, because of adultery. You can get out of marriage that way. And Jesus was saying, yes, he made that way because of your stubbornness and your hard of heart, your hard hearts. And he's saying, there's a better way. There's a way that is, that is one flesh, two no longer, one becoming two, two becoming one. You know what I mean? And what jo God has joined together, let no man separate. God himself instituted marriage. And it didn't do it at some later date because he recognised there were some social issues, some society problems. This is what God planned. It's between a male and female becoming one flesh what God has joined together is clear that it is God's doing. And Jesus, he, he just he, he brought that out. He said, this is what's important. This is what marriage is. God in creation made man in his image, the pinnacle of his creation. And God recognized that it was good, not good, for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to, 20, 18 to 24. And it says that Adam got to name all the living creatures, right? And they all come by, one by one by one, naming them, each one. Which would have been a fun couple of hours, I reckon. Maybe a bit longer, I don't know. Well, fun, I'm not really... Anyway, I won't leave my journey with animals, it's not great. But anyway, but Adam is naming all these animals, right? And, it's, and it said that it was, it was not good for him to be alone. There was still something missing. So God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and created woman. And on awaking, God presents... Eve to Adam. And, he, and Adam says, at last. Genesis 2, 23 and 24 says this. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God brought Eve to Adam. God made her and created this new relationship called marriage, unlike any other relationship in the world, right at the beginning. God conducted that first ever marriage, and then to become one flesh. This is the union that God performs. Jesus said in chapter Mark 10, which we said, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When a couple speak their vows on their wedding day and consummate their vows with sexual union, it's not a man or a woman, a pastor or a parent that is the main player. It is God himself. Marriage reflects God. He, he does it. God performs this incredible act of joining man with woman, husband and wife. And we need to see this because we all come with a background and a history. And it might be that we saw our parents and that was not a great example perhaps or other family members. We come through our own experiences and we need to align ourselves. What does God say? And he, he's the one who invented, created, designed marriage. And it's really important. And so sometimes, you know, in a room this size with this amount of people, many, many people, some of us, would have gone through some very difficult, tragic, difficult circumstances relating to marriage. And it's important to know that God cares and loves you. And this is not like if you haven't attained all this on day one or even ever, God cares for us and he has a plan for us. And he knows. So whatever our backgrounds, his grace is towards you. He knows our pain. He knows our struggles. He knows the history we come to. But he can come and change that, and he can come and bring real peace. So you can see from the account in Genesis and what Jesus said that God paints a glorious picture of marriage, his design, becoming one flesh. But it is so much more than that. Ephesians 5, 25 to 32 says this, "'Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church.'" Uh, Most of the married women in the meeting here would probably like us to stop right there. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, is those verses again from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. A marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church. Marriage is to display the glory of God. Marriage is about the gospel. No wonder it states that the mystery is profound. The world says, if it's not working, move on. God says, hold fast to your wife. Your one flesh. It is so much more than a nice house and however many children you would like, well behaved and all the rest of it, having a good retirement plan. We need a vision of marriage that's God's vision of marriage. Because it's, that is oh, I've got the keys. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. You're doing great, Tony. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> what page was I on? <laughs> oh, page four of 37. <laughs> Ephesians 5. We need a glorious vision of marriage. Jesus laid down his life for the church. He promises to return for the church. His perfect covenant... No, I've cut myself getting that key out. It's all going right today, isn't it? We've got a doctor in the house. We'll be all right. Right, that's better. I'm all right, Jenny. I don't need first aid. <laughs> Jenny, stop showing off. You are a good wife. You don't need to make... I'll mention it later. First aid kit. I mean... Wow. I feel so loved. <laughs> Tim's sorting out the alarm. Lena's giving me a plaster. Anyway, carry on. We need a glorious and brutal, wonderful vision of what marriage is. Jesus laid down his life for the church. He will return for the church. His perfect covenantal love is over the church. When we get it wrong, when we make mistakes individually, corporately, he still loves us. He promises never to change that. It's amazing. When we have made mistakes, when we get things wrong, he, he, he still loves us. It's not always like that with us, is it, in our love for one another. But Jesus, covenant love, that will never, ever change. Jesus knew what it would take to redeem his bride, the church. And it was to lay down his life, was to die for you and me. What an amazing, sacrificial love that is. And it's so vital that we see the gospel as we consider marriage. If you're married, the aim and desire should be that your marriage displays that covenantal love. It points to something deep. It points to a relationship that is rooted in commitment to one another. In Christ's marriage to the church, we see a complete and total giving. That's what Jesus did. It expresses unity. It expresses oneness. It expresses otherness. It expresses faithfulness sacrificial surrender. That's what Jesus did for you and I. And this only comes in a marriage when two people say, I'm doing this exclusively forever. It's so much more than a relationship that's founded on romance or sexual desire or convenience. Marriage is a sacred covenant rooted in covenant commitments that stand against every storm of life that you or I might face as long as we live. But it's rooted in that because of Jesus, not because you or I, if you are married, are determining to make that happen. It's because we are reflecting something of Jesus. I mentioned that the description of marriage reflects Christ and the church is more than romantic love or built around sexual chemistry. Just as another little interlude, we've had a few already, haven't we? I just want us to watch a quick video. 30 seconds. No, that's all right. Well, you would have expected that this morning, I guess. Not to worry. You might have seen it. It's, a, it's an advert for TV license, right? You, you know, you're looking bemused. Anyway, there's this couple. There they are. And they get, this is over a mil. This is the 30-second video. It's now going to take three minutes to probably explain. <laughs> but but we'll, let's do it anyway. And the couple, they meet and they have 
dinner and she says, I love you, I love you. Let's have kids together. You make me and all this sort of wonderful romantic stuff. And then she says to him, it's not you, it's me. Um, you know, that sort of thing. And he says, oh, okay. She says, well, let's sort this out. I'm going to get a lawyer. And he says, I'm keeping all the CD players. And she walks off saying, in your dreams. And it's basically a very quick 30-second look at relationships. I don't know what it's got to do with TV licenses. But anyway, there it is. It was mostly to give you a picture of what the world views. Relationships are very temporary. And if it's not working, we'll just move on. And our culture idolises romantic love. You complete me, that sort of phrase. Well, at the time, that, that way, they might think that. But it's on their terms, self-centred, not self-sacrifice. It can be about physical attraction. And, of course, that is important. I'm not ruling that out, right? It's important. But that's, if that's the only driving force, there's a problem. But behind that, that sense of romanticism or whatever it might be called, that temporary thing is something far deeper going on. He or she will add something to me. That's what's behind it. They're going to add to my life. It's about me. He or she will add to my kingdom. And that's what, that's what that sort of thing is saying. Culture says sleep with whoever you please. It's about consent of physical activity. It separates out the physical and with the whole person, your soul and your innermost being. And when it's no longer working, too old, the person's not what you thought they were, they don't look quite as attractive as they once did, <coughs> etc. No longer got quite got the body they once had. Steady on. Steady on, I know. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was making sure I looked at my notes at that point. There's <laughs> a big mirror, right? No, no. Well, they say it's time to move on. It's not quite working. No longer meeting my emotional or physical needs. They no longer complete me. And sex is a god of this age, isn't it? It's about physical satisfaction. But the Bible says something completely different. It's a gift from God, divine blessing. In Genesis, God says of creation, it is very good. And he invented everything. He invented and created sex. God said, go and multiply. That I know mo I'm looking around you, everyone gets this. It involves sex. This is God's plan. Go and enjoy there's a whole book in the Old Testament, Song of Songs, about that sense of romance and sex. Go and read it. It's worth a look. And then Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let the marriage bed be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Sex is not a dirty word. Something to be ashamed of or not talked about, like a, like a horrible, dirty secret. Because sex within marriage is a wonderful gift from God. Marriage is a place which a man and woman are joined together in one flesh. And this flesh union includes sexual union. In fact, it has to include that. Another person, however good they are, will never complete you. And this is really what's so important. You were made to know the love of God. And so when we said right at the beginning, when I said at the beginning, when a couple comes, they're going to get married. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about this, really, because we need to know this person will not complete you. Only Jesus can do that. You'll never be married to the perfect person. That's never going to happen. Marriage and sex is important, but it's not the ultimate goal in life. There is only one Messiah, and that's Jesus, and it is his love for you that you were created for. You weren't created to be completed by another person. You were created for the love of Christ. 
lonely, insecure, unhappy, single people, surprise, surprise, become lonely, insecure, unhappy, married people. Because they're not cured by that other person. Marriage and sex don't solve the emptiness. It exposes it. We're on a journey, right, of becoming more like Jesus. And that's wonderful. And the sanctifying work of God, which that means is the work he's doing in our hearts, in our lives, from the day we become a Christian to the day we die, is Jesus changing us to be more like, more like him. And getting married sort of speeds that up a little bit at times, I, I would suggest. He's at work in our lives. And if in your life, you know, like, so we come into marriage with all of our stuff, whatever that might be, some loads, some loads and loads, but we come in and imagine those little little character traits that are in us. Like it's like a hairline crack on a bridge. And then we get married and it's like a 10-ton lorry is crashing over it every day of our lives. Not in a negative way, but it exposes, right? It exposes those things. We need Jesus to help us. It's not getting help from our partner. We can get that, but we need, our, we need to go to God because he's the one who's going to change us and make us more like him. So it's so important to know that. It's a work of Jesus. Your spouse will never complete you. They might help you along the way for sure, but they will not complete you. You need Jesus. He's the one who can bring complete freedom, contentment, joy in our lives. Marriage is really this, a flawed person married to a flawed person in a fallen world. But we have an adequate and all-sufficient saviour who invades marriages by his grace and gives us everything we need to be who we are supposed to be and to do what we're supposed to do in marriage. You never get your capacity to love another person from your spouse. You get your capacity to love another person from the foot of the cross, for what Jesus has done at the cross. He alone is your all-sufficiency. And we can all be overwhelmed. And I just want to take it sort of outside of the marriage thing, really, because we're all overwhelmed at times with human experiences, the pain of singleness, perhaps, or a toxic marriage, or long-term sickness, financial difficulties, bereavement, and many more. And as you've heard here, over many years, or years anyway, you're going to face trials and difficulties. That's a given. If you haven't yet very much, you will one day. But you know, with Jesus, that can all change. The Bible never tells us to bury our heads in the sand to deny the realities of our lives. Because if you've done that, that's not real faith, is it? We're just burying our heads. What, the, the, the day will come when it all comes out. It will only last for a while. We need to look at God, meditate on his glory. And that's what's going to change us. That's what brings us peace. That's what helps us in every circumstance of life. And the solution and the problem of that romantic view can be summed up in one word, worship, really. If we are worshipping our partner, then we're not worshipping God. And that's where it needs to come to. We need to put him in his rightful place. That's saying, Jesus, you're the Lord. You reign. You're in charge of my life, whatever that looks like. And then when he does that, when he's Lord of my life, I can extend grace to Jenny. I can extend grace to many, many people because I'm understanding my relationship with God. It's a vertical relationship first. When I resolve that, when I'm right with God, I can pour out grace and kindness and love to other people because he's changing me. And that's what's really important. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the one we want to 
come and he changes everything. So what a glorious picture then of marriage. But you might ask, how can we attain to those heights? You know, husbands, lay down your lives as Christ did for the church. He died for the church. A bit of a tall order, you might ask. But it is more than that. If you're a Christian here today, I said this right at the beginning, you're an ambassador for Jesus. And whatever position you find yourself in, married or single, whatever you find yourself in, divorced, widowed, we're a follower of Jesus. And it's not that these things are difficult uh, and hard to achieve, to be a great husband, a great wife, a great friend, a great brother or sister, a great employee and stuff like that. It's actually impossible. But it doesn't just end there, does it? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. There's so many other things. It says the Bible's full of it. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. All these sort of things are in the Bible. And it's like, God, how can I do all this? How can I achieve such heights? It's impossible. And it is impossible. But we genuinely have a hope. And the hope is this, is that God lives within us. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is what makes all the difference. And so when we, we're going to come to the end in a few minutes. And what I'm really keen for is not just, it is about, like, marriage represents Christ and the church. And what it does, is says, Jesus will never leave us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And our marriages can look towards that and replicate that and ref reflect that. But we can look to God and say, we know for sure he will never leave us or forsake us. And we need to, to, to live the life that he calls us to, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to know him. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5.18. And that's just a little while when he's talking about, before that, he's talking about marriage and stuff like that, and afterwards as well about marriage. We need gospel transformation in our lives. That's what makes all the difference in our lives, is ha having him change us. It rests on him, not on you. Him doing the changing work in our lives. When we do that, we can extend grace to others. Christ is the one who will strengthen you. And it is only through him that we can able to live different lives, to be in the world and not of the world. It's a tall ask to be in the world and not of the world. But that's what God calls us to. And the world is screaming at us, but we have a better story. We have a story that says, Jesus, I know this king, and he changes everything. It stands out. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He chose you if you're a Christian before the foundations of the earth. Nothing can snatch you from the Father's hand. That's the love of God for you and me today. And you might be here and think, well, I don't even know this Jesus. Well, today you can. I, I want to extend that opportunity. It's not, I don't need to extend it. Jesus does. He wants you to know him, to know forgiveness. Come to him and have repent, like, repent and say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I want to follow you. I believe this stuff and I know you can change my life. And he will totally because he will cause your heart to be totally transformed. Culture says marriage is at its day. We could look on and go, well, we're the church. It's a bit tricky. Let's withdraw. Let's run our nice little marriage course over there once a, t once a year and try and sustain marriage in our little enclave in a quiet corner. But being on the margin is a good place because we've got so much to say. Because when, when the world gets darker, 
light seems all the more obvious, doesn't it? It's so much more revealing. When the church is marginalised, often God moves in power. And we long for that. I'm sure you do. I know I do. And just as a final point on marriage, marriage is temporary. But one day, this is all wrapped up. One day, we're not going to be here. And it's all going to be, praise God, yeah, because we have a future and a hope that is quite remarkable. You know, Genesis 1, then there, it talks about God created the heavens and the earth. It's a, the picture of the Bible is epic. It's, um, it's, it's beyond our words. It's certainly beyond my words. Then there's that first marriage of Adam and Eve, and then Jesus returning for the church. He's coming back. It's not like we're hanging on by our fingertips. We're going for God, but he's coming back. And we're the bride of Christ. And then when that day comes, when you and I get to heaven and we're in his presence, we no longer need to be married because it's all wrapped up and we're with him. And it says in Revelation that there will be a... I'm going to read the verses because it is so epic. And Revelation's good because it's easy to find. (laughs) I found it. Well done, eh? says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. And then these, first, these next three verses, Revelation 19, 6 to 9, say this, And he said to me, it is done. Hold on a second. I told you it was easy to find. The story goes like this. There is going to be a marriage in heaven that is so glorious that our words cannot picture it. We will not understand it fully on this planet, but it's going to be glorious. We're going to be in his presence forever. Everything changes. No sadness, no tears. We will not need to be married. There is no marriage because it is all about Jesus. We're here to worship him. He's the king of kings. And so when Rachel said earlier, when she read out Colossians, And there was the bit about sometimes I fix my eyes a bit too much on my very now day, you know, the difficulties and stuff. Of course we do. That's understandable. We're never going to live in that perfect environment in our minds and in our hearts. But there's a bigger picture that we're going to be with the King of Kings, the King of Glory forevermore. And I'm excited. I'm enjoying my life here. I love it. I love being in Eltham. I love the people of God. I love being married to Jenny. But I, there's a day coming, right? There is a day coming. We're going to be in the presence of God. And it will be like, wow. I, you know, I don't know. I can't explain it better than wow. And, and I think we... I mean, that's rubbish, right? So no wonder James only asked me to preach every six or eight weeks. But, but you, you know... It's a joy to this. We have a future. We have a future that is so far beyond this world and the next month and the month after that. And, and that's what we need to live for. And that's why Sundays are really important. That's why when we get together is important because we remind ourselves, we encourage ourselves, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's going to answer our prayers. And if we don't, we're going to be with him to, for all time. 